Well, you can have a seat. I've got the privilege of introducing our guest teacher for today. If you were at our summit yesterday, anybody at the summit yesterday have a good time? That really made everyone that wasn't there really excited to totally go there next year. Just, just kidding. Thank you. Some, some people liked it. We got a chance to hear from our guest. His name is Jeff Vanderstelt. He's from Seattle, Washington. This is Jeff's first time here at The Rim, but if you've been at The Rim, you've actually felt the influence of Jeff in The Rim, uh, kind of the culture that we have here of we want to make disciples and we want to empower every believer to go and make disciples where they live, work, and play. And so as Jeff speaks, he's a, a gifted communicator, but more than anything else, uh, this is the, him being here is the first time we met. And more than anything else, he loves Jesus, and he loves people. And so as he he speaks today, uh, you'll you'll be encouraged, and hopefully your love for Jesus will be stirred, and your love for people will be stirred as well. So if you would, would you put your hands together and help me welcome Mr. Jeff Vanderstel. It's great to be with you. And uh, I really thought I was going to be able to dress a lot warmer um, here. So I'm wearing a sweater. I haven't worn a sweater in a long time. So it's actually colder here than Seattle. Hard, hard to believe. But, um, uh, but it's so good to be here. Um, it's been a joy to be with some of the team of the church here as well as um, many of the people from other churches yesterday. So it was a joy to be with everyone. I'm really thankful to serve you and I'm eager to see what the Lord wants to say to you. In fact, I just want to stop and pray and invite the Spirit to speak that God would speak to our hearts. He does that through his word, uh, and it's not dependent on uh, a speaker. It's dependent on the spirit, so let's ask God to speak. So, Father, we are grateful that you see us, you love us, you call us sons and daughters through Jesus. Jesus, we are thankful that you did everything necessary to make what I'm about to speak about true in our lives. We are so thankful for your life for your sacrifice, for what you are presently doing before the Father as you represent us with your own life. Uh, We pray that we would find life in you this morning. Pray you would work in and through us. We do ask that your spirit would enlighten our hearts, that you would bring conviction, which you would bring insight, Lord, that you would move us to live out who we are, that we would live into what you say is true of us. And so we just invite you by your spirit now to speak, to move, to change us, to lead us, to have your way here with us. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right. I'm going to start a little bit ahead of where we read today, so if you do have your Bibles, this is going to be on the screen as well, so you'll get to see it, but if you want to look in the text, go ahead and do that at 1 Peter 2, and um, just so you know a little bit about me, I um, have been in Seattle for quite a long time. My wife grew up there. Uh, She and I have been married for almost 31 years. It'll be 31 years in March. Uh, yeah, I'm, that itself is a miracle, right? That's grace from God. And if my wife were here, she would say, yes, she needed lots of grace to stay with me. So um, we have three children, one at the University of Washington. She's graduating this spring. Uh, her name is Haley. She's almost 22. 
We have a son, his name is Caleb. He goes to the University of Bellevue, uh, and he's uh, 19, and then we have a junior in high school. Her name is Maggie. And so uh, they, anytime I leave, uh, they sacrifice, right, because I don't get to be with them, and so they also bring their greeting, and uh, my wife is praying for us in this time, so just know that in a sense they're with you in spirit, and probably would, I would love them to be here in physical form, but at least they're here praying for you. So let's start in First Peter 2, 4. He says, and, and by the way, let, let's just set the, the kind of setting here. Peter is writing to the church in Asia Minor, which we now know as modern-day Turkey, uh, he's writing to a group of followers of Jesus that are scattered throughout the whole region. And because of that, are beginning to struggle about their identity and their sense of, like, is God really for us? Like, they're about to experience persecution. They're not getting to all be together in the same place and don't have the freedom in a lot of ways like we do to do this. And so there is a sense of, like, is, is God abandoning his people? Does he see us? Does he know us? Does he care about us? And so Peter says this to remind them of who they are. As you come to him, meaning Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. And I think he's wanting to start there just to say, hey, he knows what it's like to experience rejection. So just so you know, Jesus gets what you're going through. He says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so he wants to remind them who they are, and that's what we're going to get to today. But he's saying, as you come to him, the living stone, Jesus was known as the cornerstone, the stone that the builders rejected. The builders referring to the religious leaders of of Israel, that these people that were supposed to be all about God's work rejected the very cornerstone of which God was going to build everything else from. And so Jesus knows what it's like to be rejected, but he's saying as you come to him, you are living stones, and God is building his household through you. Like you are a part of the household of faith. And what I want to do before we go any further is I'd like to ask anybody who was born in the first six months of the year to stand up. Don't worry, I'm not going to have you do anything weird. It's just a visual just a kind of illustration. Anybody born in the first six months of the year, that's January through June, if you have a hard time with your math. So, um, okay, I want you to imagine, looking around, I want you to imagine that this is all of San Antonio, okay? That the, the kind of the end of the chairs, oh, we'll go back to the walls, that the, the room is San Antonio. And I want you to imagine that everyone standing has come to faith in Jesus Christ, Sorry about those who are sitting. Um, it's just an illustration. Uh, but that, that you represent living stones scattered throughout the whole region. And there is a sense that by the Spirit, you're all connected. So if you can imagine, you're like this living, moving building that's walking around all of San Antonio. And so literally, you are surrounding people who don't yet know Jesus with the very presence of Jesus. That you are this moving household right? And that really is what's going on in San Antonio. Wherever you go, the Spirit has this ability to bring the presence of Christ in and through you, and then also in between you. I mean, it's just this remarkable picture that Peter's wanting to paint, and he wants you to see yourselves this way. So look around. Just look, kind of look at the, the, the visual illustration. Those of you who are not seated, I'm sorry, we're trying to make you see Jesus. We hope you'll come to faith in Jesus. Just, just kidding. You may be seated. Thank you. Um, I, I want to do that because I want you to remember that picture. 
I want you to, as you go to school or work or to your neighborhood or to the places where you do your recreational activities, and I want you to remember that if you've come to Jesus, you're part of the living stones that are making up a spiritual household that is the very household of God that is saturating or filling San Antonio with the presence of Christ. That's, that's the picture that Peter wants these people in Turkey or Asia Minor to get, that though they're not in the same room together, the Spirit of God sees who they are and fills them with the presence of Christ and wants to bring Jesus to every place where they live, work, learn, and play. That's who you are. So I want to just say it in another way. You don't go to church, right? You are the church. And I love that's, that's how the greeting began when we began to do our singing. Mindy said, hello, church. And I hope you heard that. It's Mindy, right? I got that right? I met, yes. Yes, and I love that. Keep doing that because the problem we tend to fall into is that church is a place that we go to or an event that we engage in for an hour or two on a Sunday morning. And that's just not the biblical picture of what it means to be the church. The church is the people of God filled with the presence of God by His Spirit to work out the purposes of God in everyday life. That's who the church is. So if you've come to Jesus, you are His church, and therefore people get to go to church every day if they're around you. That makes sense? Like Because you are going as the church, and if they're around you, they get to experience being with the church through you. And it is God's intended plan to see all of San Antonio meet Jesus. It's not through them getting to come to this event, though this is great. And there may be some of you in the room that are kind of being drawn to Jesus. Maybe this is new to you, and I'm glad you're here because you, in a sense, you get to go to church today because this is the church and you're getting to be around the church. But God's intent is that you would experience being the church all week long in such a way that whether someone comes here or anywhere else, they're going to meet Jesus. That's how it works. And that, that's remarkable because it gives your life significance, that you are the means by which God is making himself known to the world. And I hope even that, just you just go like, wow, I don't know if I've been living like that's who I am. And sadly, we start to think like the church is the staff of RIM, you know, the people get paid to help lead us and equip us and encourage us, but their job is to equip you to go be the church. Their job is to equip you to go be ministers of the good news of Jesus Christ wherever you are. And so we all step into that reality. And that's what Peter's going to talk about is what does it look like to really step in to this identity that we have as God's people in this world? Now, before we look at three identity statements that Peter's going to lay out for us that you heard in the reading, I want to jump ahead to the next chapter, uh, chapter 3. So the reading was from chapter 2. We're going to look at chapter 3 just briefly, uh, just because I want to keep this in your mind as we look at chapter 2. In chapter 3, Peter's already uh, anticipating that things won't go well for the people in Asia Minor, that he knows there's going to be people who are going to reject them, people that are going to probably make fun of them, people that are going to judge them, people that are even going to misunderstand them. And he says this in 1 Peter 3, 13 through 15. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? In other words, he's saying, why would anybody be upset if you're just trying to do things that are good for them? But then he says, but, because 
you probably will still experience that. And we're experiencing that now. Like even in our good intent to love people, sometimes it comes across in ways that doesn't always feel good. And so people may judge our actions in ways that don't feel great to us. And so he says, even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, and that's another way of saying, even if you should suffer for trying to live the life Jesus saved you to live, um, just know that you'll be blessed and have no fear of them. Don't be troubled by them. But he says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. That's another way of saying, when you're doing this, constantly remember you're doing this for him. The word holy means to be set apart. So in a sense, you're saying, I'm doing all of my life for Jesus, so I'm setting him apart as the person for which I'm doing it for, so when I'm in the world, it doesn't get always received well, I know he's receiving me well. So I want to set him apart as holy, so my mind is focused on his response, and he receives me, he loves me, he accepts me, I'm not worried about that. So he says, as you do that, set him apart as holy, always being prepared to make a defense, or it could also be uh, translated to give an answer to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Now, that passage assumes you're living a life that doesn't make sense to people. Right? It's assuming that you're living a life that needs an explanation. So it's like when people ask you for the hope that's in you, in other words, when they ask you, why are you doing what you're doing? Why do you have so much joy and love and peace? Why do you continue to love those who, who reject you? Why do you not give up on those who seem to give up on you? Like, what is it about you that makes you so different? And he's saying, when that happens, when they're wondering, when they're curious, when they're wondering what's going on and why you do it, be ready to give an answer for the hope that's in you. And what is that answer? It's Jesus. It's because of what he's done for me that I can do this for you. It's because of the way he's loved me, I can love you. The way that he's forgiven me, I can forgive you. The way that he's served me and giving his own life for me, I can serve you and learn how to give my life away for you. That's, that's the idea. In other words, another way to think about this is live your life in such a way that it demands a gospel explanation. Okay? Live your life in such a way that you can't answer it in any other way other than giving them Jesus. So it's not like, well, I'm just nice. You know, or it's just good to be kind. It's like, no, 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 the life you live can't be explained that easily. Because when, it's, when, when you live a life that doesn't make any sense because you continue to love when people don't love back, eventually you just go, the only answer I've got is that he loved me when I didn't love him. Right? That, that when I was an enemy of God, God loved me by sending his own son for me. Instead of condemning me, he came to save me. He didn't come to push me away. He came to draw me near. And so the reason why I can do this is because he's done it in me first. That's the answer that I've got. So I want to keep that in mind as we go through this text because I read a, a book a while ago by Donald Whitney about spiritual practices. And if you're new to the faith, Spiritual practices are any kind of activity we do to draw ourselves closer in relationship with God, like prayer, Bible reading, silence, solitude. One of those practices also helps others draw close to God, which is evangelism, that we learn how to share our faith so others can draw close to God. And Donald tells this story about, on his chapter on evangelism, about this guy in the Northwest. He actually be, was from my, my city, and he had been working for a boss who uh, this boss was a Christian. The employee didn't know that, but the boss was a, a follower of Jesus. And this employee went away for, uh, like, to, to like a crusade. 
And if you aren't familiar with that, it's like a, a large gathering of people where they, someone's going to share the truth about Jesus and invite people to respond. And this particular employee heard the good news of Jesus, came forward, surrendered his life. His heart was changed, came back to work on Monday. He's just so excited. He can't stop talking about his, this new life change that he experienced with Jesus. And his boss hears him over uh, on the, in the corner talking to some employees and he comes up and he said, man, that's so exciting. I've been praying for you. I've been praying that you'd come to faith. This has been the day that I've been hoping for. And the employee looks at his boss and he's like, what? You're a Christian? He said, you were almost the reason why I never became a Christian. And he went on to describe, he said, you're such a good boss, treated your employees so well, like you're a man that I wanted to be like, but I thought that I just had to try hard to be good like you in order to become a man like you. I had no idea it was because of Jesus. Because see, this boss never ever told him it was because of Jesus. He never gave Jesus credit for the life he was living. So this employee thought, if I try hard to be like my boss, I'll be a good man too. Thankfully, he heard the gospel message on the weekend that you can't try to be a good person all by yourself, that you need someone to transform you from the inside out to make you the kind of man who can really love even when you don't get love back. And this boss in that moment realized, my silence about Jesus could have led this man to never meet Jesus. And I would say our good works could lead people away from Jesus if we don't give Jesus credit for our good works. Right? If we, we try to be really good people in this world but never tell anybody the reason for the hope that's in us that's transformed us from the inside out, then it's as though we're robbing Jesus of the credit for the work he's done inside of our life. Right? It's like a, a painting on a wall, but no one knows who the artist is, and we admire the painting, but we nev get, never give credit to the artist. And God's work in your life through Jesus is meant to be a masterpiece through which you point to the one who's the master artist. He's done the work. Yes, I love that you clap. <laughs> I love sitting next to you when we were singing the other day. That was so good. So keep that in mind as you, as you hear about your identity. Okay, let's go back now, 1 Peter 2, verse 9. And we're not going to teach the entire text, but uh, before I read it again, I want you to just remember that the goal is that you'll be God's people in the place he's put you for the purpose of displaying what God's like and then giving him credit when people want to know why you live the life you do. That's the big idea. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Those are the three statements we're going to walk through. A people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you've not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. By the way, that, that word flesh, if you're new to the, the faith, if you're new to Jesus, if you're new to like being what it means to be the church, the word flesh is anytime you put all your hope and dependency on your own strength and power versus the, the, the power and strength of God by His Spirit. That's what that fundamentally means. So it, we sometimes get confused in that, but that's what that means. So the passion of me trying on my own strength to do it for my own glory with, with my own power. And he says, when you're living in that place, you're waging war against your own soul because your soul was not made to try and do life without God. Your, life, your soul was made to be a container in which God dwells in which you with God live life and then you get the very divine life to live every single day. 
which is remarkable. I mean, that's the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel of Jesus isn't just that you get your sins forgiven and one day you get to enjoy being with him in a new heaven and new earth forever. That's good. That's amazing. But the, the, the heart of it all is you get God. <laughs> you get to have God dwell in you and you in God and you get this divine life that's way better than what you had before you met Jesus. It's the life you were meant for. So that's what he's saying here. It's like there's this, this beauty that like you don't have to wage war in your soul anymore. You get to have this peace in your soul and this presence of God in your soul. And then he says, now keep your conduct among the, end, the Gentiles, which is another way of saying those who've yet to believe in Jesus. Just to be clear, that's those who aren't yet knowing that they are the people of God. He says, keep your conduct amongst them honorable. So when they speak against you, so even if they have a cause to be against you, they would actually see your good deeds. And it says, glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, that means kind of two things. One, either when God breaks into their own life, like he visits them and they welcome him in, or when Jesus returns one day and makes all things new, that either way, they're going to go, oh, your life was because of Jesus, that what you did was because of what Jesus did. So they would give, have cause to give him glory and praise. So that's, that's kind of the big idea. Now, let's look at three statements. We are a chosen race is where we're going to start. Now, do you know where that phrase comes from? You are a chosen race. It comes from this time in Israel's history when God went to a man called Abram, and eventually uh, he changed his name to Abraham, and he said, Abram, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. And I'm going to bless you to be a blessing, and I'm going to make your family so numerous that you can't even hardly count them, like stars in the sky and like sand on the seashore. And he, he promised Abram that he was going to enable he and his wife, who were very old, to have a child, Isaac, who then through Isaac, all the wor world would be blessed, ultimately, and through their ultimate offspring, which we know eventually was Jesus, born into the world. And this idea that God gave to Abram was, that you're going to be my family on the earth. I've chosen you. And I didn't choose you because of anything you did. In fact, God has to keep reminding Israel this over and over and over again. I didn't choose you because you were great, because you weren't. You were just an old man and an old woman when you started. Who couldn't have kids? That's your origin story, right? And I gave you a baby. And it was through that one baby that this nation grew. So it's not because you were great. I chose you. But I chose you and said, I'll make your name great. And the reason why I'm going to make your name great and why I'm going to give you this massive family and give you tons of blessing is so that through you, all the earth will be blessed. Another way to think about it is that God was saying, I want you to be my family on the earth so that if anybody comes in the midst of the family of Israel, they would experience what it's like to have God as their father. That was, that was the whole intent. God said, I want you to be my people. I've chosen you. I want you to be a display people of my love. When a stranger comes through, they should be treated like family. When a soldier who doesn't have a home comes through, you should welcome them in. When someone who's poor and needy comes in, they should get what they need from my family on earth so that they'll know what I'm like. So that if anybody experiences being in the family of Israel, they'll experience what it's like to have God as their father. That was the whole idea. Now we know that they failed at that miserably. In fact, they acted entitled. They acted like they came up with everything they got. They, they started to hoard. They started to keep. They started to keep, like, keep people out. And God's God's anger was always about any time the people of Israel didn't act like the family of God. 
And when he would speak against him, he'd say, my problem with you is that you don't welcome the widow and the the orphan, the stranger and the sojourner, that you don't care for those who don't have, and you forgot who you used to be, which is used to have nothing. And I gave you everything you've got. And the reason why I gave it to you is so that you could give it to others. I didn't give it to you so you could keep it. I gave it so so you could give it. And here's the concept. Whatever God does to you, he intends to do through you. That's what it, whatever he does to you, he intends to do through you. So whatever you've received, it's so that you might give. If you receive forgiveness, it's so that you can forgive. If you receive grace, it's so that you can be gracious. If you receive blessing, it's so that you might bless. Whatever you've received, it's so that you might give. Whatever he does to you, he intends to do through you. And they failed to do this. And so Jesus shows up. And some might say Jesus is the ultimate Israel. He's also called the Son of God, right? And the reason why he's called the Son of God is because Jesus is coming to say, I am going to now be what Israel didn't, wasn't living into. I'm going to be the, the personal experience of the Father. You're gonna, if you're around me, you're going to know what it's like to be in the family of God. In fact, at one point, one of his disciples says this, would you just show us the Father? And Jesus says, if you've been with me, you've seen the Father. In other words, everything that you've experienced around me is what the Father's doing. In John 5, Jesus says the Son only does what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father is doing, the Son is doing. And so, by the way, if you have an origin story that doesn't have a kind of dad or father that you, like, felt safe, cared for, nurtured by, you just need to know, don't look at your earthly father to be the picture of what, a, of what the father's like. Look at Jesus to know what a father's like. Because he is the true picture of the heavenly father. And if you want to really have an amazing father, Jesus said, if you want to have the father, you've got to come through me. I'm the means to which you get a new father for, your, for the rest of your life. And I, I had a decent dad. I mean, I love my dad. But regularly with my brothers, when we would struggle with things as adult men that maybe our father failed in, I would always say, let's not treat our earthly father like dad anymore. Let's treat him like a brother. And let's look to Heavenly Father as our ultimate father and then give to our father the same grace we received from, from, for ways we've fallen short. So yeah, he's still my earthly father, but I can't tell, him, tell you how many times my dad and I have conversations like brothers instead of like father and son because I'm not expecting him to be a perfect father anymore. I've already got a perfect father, right? I tell my kids all the time, I'm not your real dad. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, we know what you mean because I've, you know, I've explained to them. I say, you know, I'm just your temporary like fill-in dad to be a picture of the Heavenly Father in any way in which I don't look like the Heavenly Father, you have permission to remind me that I'm not a good picture of the Heavenly Father. And there have been days, like my daughter will go, hey, Dad, I don't think that's how the Heavenly Father would treat us. I don't think that's how our Heavenly Father would treat others. And so my daughter isn't just my daughter, she's my sister in Christ, right? She gets to speak to me like a sister about our Heavenly Father. And so that, that's what God intended for our, his people. And Jesus comes and he displays the perfect picture of God the Father. And then everyone who comes to, to Jesus and then does the will of Jesus is the family of God. In fact, at one point, Jesus says, when people are like, where are your mom and your brother and your sister? He's like, who are my mother and brother and sisters but those who do the will of my Father? What is he saying? The family is those who know the Father and then do the Father's will. And sometimes we don't live like we believe we're family, right? 
I mean, some of us look, live like we've forgotten who our dad is, or we've forgotten who our brothers and sisters are, we've forgotten who Jesus is, and this message, I hope, will be a reminder that if you've come to faith in Jesus, you are a living stone who is a chosen people, which means you are now the family of God on this earth. That's who you are. You are the means by which people will know what it's like to belong to a family with God as Father. That's a big deal, because we are basically telling the world, though we were by nature children of wrath, Ephesians 2, by God's mercy and love, He's made us children of God. By nothing we've done. Just simply the grace of God, the gift of God through Jesus Christ. Yeah, you and I are absolutely loved regardless of what we've ever done. And, and if we really know that, if we believe that, then we will give that away. In fact, I would say this, your ability to love others is always connected to your present knowledge and experience of the love of God in your own life. And your inability to love and give away love to others is connected to your your lack of knowledge or experiential interaction with God's love itself, right? So maybe today you're going like, man, I lack a lot of love. Please don't leave today lacking love. There's no reason for you to leave this room and go out back into a world that needs love without having the resource of God's love in your life. In fact, some of you might just need to go, I just need more of that love. And Romans 5, 5 says that God pours his love into your hearts by his spirit. So if you're going, man, I lack love for people, do not leave here without asking for him to pour his love into your heart today. He wants to give it to you because the reason why he brought you to himself is so the whole world would know how much he loves. So don't leave here without it. And this idea is that, in some ways, the church is like foster parents. Are you guys familiar with foster to adopt? You know, when a kid's maybe not safe in their home anymore, and obviously we always want to get them back to their natural parents, biological parents, but sometimes that can't be done. And so sometimes people foster a child with the intent to maybe adopt them as their own. And the whole idea of foster to adopt is that we love somebody who's not our child like they are our child so that they'll actually begin to believe they are our child. And then the judge will finally go, yes, you are their parents. And I think that's what evangelism should be. That we should be loving people who don't yet know God as father in such a way that they feel like they belong to the family of God so that they'll actually want God as their father. What if that's what evangelism was? was it, we weren't going out here going like, I don't know how to speak well, and I, don't th- I think I'll mess it up when I try to say it. We go, no, no, stop. Just go love people in the name of God the Father. Like, in your own heart, do it because you know Jesus loved you, and you just want to go love people like family and trust that the Spirit of God will bring them into the family over time. It's not that, I mean, it's not that hard, but it's really hard. <laughs> right? It's simple, but it's impossible if you don't have His love in your heart. And we had that same kind of thing happen for us. We had an older woman that lived next door to us when we first moved into Tacoma back in 2004. Presently live in, in Bellevue-Redmond area, but for many years we lived in Tacoma. We moved in, and the neighbors next door to us and across the street said, we're really sorry about that eyesore next to you. So if you're sitting in my house, and that's the porch, and we're looking out, the house on this side was dilapidated, the backyard had blackberry bushes that grew about 18 feet high. Uh, they were going over our fence. When we'd sit in our backyard, we would have like raccoons and possums and other creatures crawling over the fence regularly. And we lived in the city, so that's crazy. Right? It's like there was a jungle in the backyard. And uh, there was the woman that lived there, her name was Nikki. And 
We, as we learn later, Nikki's story, she grew up in a pretty abusive home. Her first husband was very abusive. She ran away from him just to save her own life. Ran from Southern California up to Seattle, where she met a man named Bud. Bud and Nikki got married. We, when we finally heard the story, Nikki referred to Bud as her angel. She saw him as a messenger from God. Sadly, Bud died of cancer. They'd been married 15 years. He died of cancer. And Nikki, in her grief and in her, her I, I think, fear and deep, deep loneliness, uh, she just decided she would never lose anything ever again. And so she became a hoarder and a recluse. And she didn't throw anything away for 15 years. Well, that was when we met her. So you can imagine not throwing anything away, not getting rid of anything, keeping it all in your house. Later, when we finally got into her house, there was stuff this high. You'd have to walk like through a trail just to get into her house. Uh, when we, we realized that there was no working bathroom in her house. I mean, just her life had been falling apart. She, in fact, loved, didn't want to lose anything that was a bud. So eventually, when we started to do work on her house, we found out there was two cars buried in the backyard underneath all the bushes and uh, blackberries. One was the first car they dated in, she and Bud, and the, the other one was the first car they bought together. She just couldn't let go of anything because she, she had been so deeply wounded by the loss of her husband that she just had to do this to everything and then do this to everyone. Keep everyone away, hold on to everything that I have. And as we tried to love her and care for her, she kept pushing us away too. For about two years, frankly, like we tried everything we could to be good neighbors, and she just kept pushing us away. I'll never forget the day I came home, my wife said to me, she said, I'm done with that woman. I washed my hands of her. And I said, what happened? She said, I'm sitting in the front porch, and Nikki gets in her van, and she revs the engine, and we had to put like our garbage cans and recycle bins out in front of the house, and she just starts running over them with her van while she's looking at my wife. Like, I'm not letting you get near me. In fact, your garbage cans can't even get near my parking spaces. And Jane just goes, I'm done. Wash my hands of her. I can't do this anymore. Which, by the way, is usually the beginning of when God starts to work. Is when you go, like, I can't do this anymore. Right? Because that's when he starts saying, oh, I'm finally glad you stopped trying in your own flesh. Now let me work. And it was in that moment where we both had, like, a spirit move, movement in our hearts. And we both looked at each other and we said, we can't be done with her. God was never done with us. And we began to pray together more earnestly than ever before. God, would you give us the power? Would you give us the love? Would you help us to persevere and not give up? And would you just open some doors? And sure enough, a couple weeks later, Nikki ends up on our front porch. I'm not there. Janie was there and she's knocking on the door and Janie's like, hey, what's up? It's the first time she's ever come toward us. And she said, well, um, my van broke down, and so I can't get around, and I'm wondering if you could drive me to the store. <laughs> and Jay's like, why now? And she's like, well, you're the only ones in this neighborhood who haven't given up on me. By the way, I'll tell you, there are probably people right now in your life who are wondering when you're going to give up. And, and the love of Christ does not give up. It perseveres. It never fails. Now, by the way, you can't do it without him. <laughs> Let's be clear. And so... Janie took her around, and then later our missional community, which is kind of our small groups in our church that we were a part of then, uh, we basically just said, hey, we probably should fix her van, so we paid for her van to be fixed. She's driving around her new van, 
A couple weeks later, she stops over at the house again, this time in trouble. Uh, Janie, I wasn't there. Janie said that she showed up. She was having chest pains. She needed to go to the hospital. And so she, Janie asked her, of course, why didn't you call an ambulance? And she said, I didn't want anybody in my neighbor, our neighborhood to know that I was in need. And so, by the way, that's also true of a lot of people probably around you. They just want to, they don't want anybody to know what's really going on. It's going to pretend like I have it all together. Might be some of you in the room. And God doesn't want you to stay alone in that. And so Janie took her to the hospital. And um, our group started to visit her. She had to stay in for about a week. Uh, we brought her roses. We sat and watched really bad daytime television uh, there was no streaming back then like, like there is now, <laughs> at least not in the hotel or not in the hospital. And then we just started to adopt her into our family. Started coming over for meals, started hanging out with the kids. She became like grandma to our kids. Um, I remember one Christmas, we, we were having a Christmas Eve. We do fondue together, chocolate and cheese fondue, and invite friends over and just have a nice time together. And Nikki was with us, and the music was playing, and Baby It's Cold Outside came on which is actually a really bad song. If you listen to it, I mean, it's beautiful, but it's, the lyrics are not so great. <laughs> the older man trying to get a younger woman drunk, it's not too good. Um, but, you know, Nikki, Nikki says, hey, that was, that, was, uh, that was my favorite song that Bud and I used to dance to all the time. And so Janie kind of looks at me with those look, you know, that look like, you're supposed to do something now, Jeff? Look, and I'm like, really? And I realize she's like, Ask Nikki to dance. So there we are in the kitchen. I asked Nikki, would you like to dance? And she said, of course. And uh, there we are in the middle of our kitchen dancing to Baby It's Cold Outside. <laughs> and while we're doing it, honestly, I, I just sensed the father saying, that's what I would have done. If that were my daughter, and she went through all the rejection she experienced, and she felt so lonely, I would have got up and danced with her. And I'll tell you, in that moment, I felt something of the love of God in my life and in my heart that I had not experienced before. And I, the reason why is I think because I put myself in the place of needing the love of the Father so that I could give the love of the Father. And I think a lot of us are like, man, I just want to know God's love more and more. And I'm like, why? So you can just keep it? Or so you can give it? And real love, the nature of love is that you're willing to give your life. That's God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's the definition of love is to give yourself away to another. And when you've been given the love, then you can give the love. But if you haven't been given the love, then you can't give the love. But how many of us are avoiding being in the place where we need to be given the love to give the love? How many of us are avoiding being in the place where we, we're desperate for God's love to flow through us? And I just want to offer to you, maybe there's some people in your life right now that need to be loved, and the only way they're going to be loved is if you say, God, I need your love to love people with. And then you become a vessel of his love. You become a conduit of his love. You get to experience the overflow of his love. And that's how God's people are always meant to live, not as an end to themselves, but as a means by which he not only loves them and they can receive it, but they can also give it. And it's the life you were created for. You're created for deep, loving relationship with God that leads to deep, loving relationship with people. It's what Jesus came to give you as he gave his life for you. He came to give you the love of the Father so that you would know love and that you would give love, so that this world would change. 
He didn't come to get you out of this world. He came to bring heaven into the world through your life. He continues, he said, we are also a holy nation. And this idea of being a holy nation, and if you're paying attention to the text, I went a little out of order. The next one is royal priesthood, but I'm gonna jump to holy nation because I think it helps in terms of uh, understanding what what we do with this love. This idea of being a holy nation was that Israel was meant to live in such a way that God was their king. And everything that they did was to demonstrate what it looks like when God rules on the earth. When his, when his rule, when his, his reign, when his way is being expressed in everyday life. And so Israel is meant to be a, a people of God who are the kingdom of God, who would display what it's like when you submit your life to God. Sadly, if you remember the story of Israel, they looked across, they looked over the fence and thought it was greener on the other side and saw all the nations having a human king. And they're like, we want a human king like everybody else. And God's like, I mean, can you imagine saying that to God? Like, I know you're our king, but we don't want you anymore. We want a human king. That's like the dumbest thing you could ever do. Right? And he even tells them that. He's not as mean as I was. But, but he goes, this isn't going to go well. Like, you're going to find out having a human king isn't a good thing. I'm a better king than everybody else, but I'll let you have a human king, and we'll see how it goes. And I don't need to trace the history of Israel, but you know, if you've ever looked, if you haven't, Read the Bible. Like a lot of people read the Bible, and they're like, this Bible is full of just people that are messed up. Yep, that's the whole point. Right? The whole point of the Bible is everybody but Jesus got it wrong. Right? So if you're reading the Bible, you're like, man, I want to be like David. Why? Like, he was a murderer and an adulterer. Right? Well, the good part about him is that he repented and he was broken in his heart. He was a man after God's own heart, even though he failed like crazy. I don't want to be like David. I want to be like Jesus. But I do want to be like David in how I run to God when I fall apart right? And so God gave them what they wanted. It didn't go well. They didn't display his, his rule and reign well. And so Jesus comes as the ultimate king. In fact, he comes as a king not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He comes as a king who feeds the poor, who opens the eyes of the blind, who becomes a friend to the lonely, who stands in the place of the accused, who gets near to the rejected. Like, his kingdom looks so different than the kingdom of this world. In fact, I would just warn us as we go into an election year, we're already in it, but as you go into it, please do not put your hope in any other political authority or power than Jesus Christ. Like, no president is ever gonna bring the kingdom of God on this earth. And if you think they are, you are you're falling into idolatry. Like, don't do what Israel did. Like, Jesus is the only one who is the ruler who will always do what is right and just and good. And if you submit yourself to any other ruler instead of him, you're always going to be left lonely, wanting, and sad, and hurt. Okay? Jesus is the only one. And Israel needed to learn that. He had to show up, and he had to do it. And what does he say? They're like, where's the kingdom? We want to know where the kingdom is because he's the Messiah they expected. And they thought when the king comes, he's going to get rid of Rome. He's going to come on a, on a, a white horse. He's going to bring all kinds of weapons. He's going to destroy our enemies. And we're going to rule on this earth once and for all, which is why Israel didn't know how to receive him because he didn't come like they thought. And he says, this isn't, my, my kingdom is not of this world. It doesn't look like all the other kingdoms. And in fact, he even says, you're not going to be able to look around and go, there it is and there it is because it's in you. And what is he saying? He's saying the kingdom of God starts when you submit your life to Jesus as king. When you say, I want you to rule over me. 
I want you to rule through me. I want you to bring the kingdom of God through my life. And if you've come to Jesus, you are his servant to extend his kingdom through your life. He wants to bring his rule and reign through you. And so as we look, I'm looking for a clock just in case I'm going long. Am I going okay? There's one over there. You tell me, I don't know where, when I circle around, I'm losing sight of where everything is. Keep going? Okay. So we asked that same question, what would the kingdom of God look like with Nikki? And the kingdom of God is really like a trailer to a movie. How many of you guys go early to the movies to see the trailers, right? It's a foretaste of what the movie's going to be like. Sadly, the trailers are usually the best thing, right? And then you go watch the movie, you're like, all the best parts were in the trailer, right? Now, we are the trailer of the kingdom of God when all things will be made as they're supposed to be. But what's different about us in movies is that we're only a foretaste that's very small compared to how great that's going to be one day. But that's who you are. You're meant to be a people that wherever you go, they go, man, if this is what life could be like, I want more of it. You go, oh, this is just a foretaste. This is just a signpost. This is like so minimal. It's so, so not enough to tell you what it's going to be like when Jesus returns and makes all things new. That's who we are. And so I would encourage you, look around you and say, where is it in our context where you live, work, learn, or play that's not experiencing the way things as they ought to be are? Like where, where are you looking around going like, I know the world's going to be amazing, but right now it doesn't look like it where I'm at. Where, where does it need the kingdom of God? In Nikki's life, we just said the kingdom of God would look like a brand new house, a new garden. Like let's... What would it look like to see the king of God have tangible form and expression in Nikki's life? So we asked her, will you let us take care of your house? Will you let us come in and clean it out and remodel? And she wouldn't let us. She was so afraid to let us be that close. But we convinced her to let us in the backyard. So a bunch of guys and I, we like rented a backhoe and we dug out the whole backyard. That's when we found those cars. And, and we asked, could we create a community garden back there? And so we did, and she said, if we do that, could you put like some play sets for the kids and maybe some benches for moms to sit on? And, and then we began to build these gardens. These all, her whole yard was full of garden beds. And it grew wonderful, you know, vegetation. And it began to, we began to use all the food that we got from her garden for neighborhood meals together. And all of a sudden, Nikki's life is having meaning. She's sitting in the back with moms and watching their kids and, Life is returning to her household. And it was a remarkable testimony to the neighborhood. In fact, a lot of the neighbors who didn't follow Jesus joined us in helping, and they would at times go like, why are you doing this? <laughs> Always be prepared to give an answer for the hope. And we said, you know what, we're doing this because this is a picture of what Jesus has done for us. All of us, all of our lives look like Nikki's backyard before Jesus. And he came in, and he, he cleaned us up, and he's, not just cleaned us up, but he's also growing new fruit in our life, like love, and patience, and joy, and this ability to care for people well. And it led a lot of people to become followers of Jesus in our neighborhood just by watching the kingdom of God take on tangible form in Nikki's life. And so we began to live it out, and the kingdom of God is breaking in, and the family of God is loving well. And this other statement is that we are now a royal priesthood, which, is, which means... God's people are meant to not only go on behalf of God to represent him as king, but they're also supposed to tell people how they can be reunited to the king. That's what it means to be a priest. The priest represents 
God, but the priest also says, here's the way back to way, the way life was always meant to be. We become ambassadors of the king and people who lead people back to the king. And all of you are that. Like, you are the priest of God. If you grew up Catholic, you're like, whoa. Like, I'm a priest? By the way, everyone who's a follower of Jesus, you are a priest. Okay? The Bible's really clear about that. You are a priest. You are sent by God on his behalf to represent his heart and love for the people and also to say, here's the way back to God through Jesus Christ. Every one of you is that. So if, you got, if it helps, you know, you need to buck, you know, button your collar and put a little white thing there all day long just to remind you, like, do it. <laughs> you, you don't want to do that. But, <laughs> but I'm serious. Like, when you get your clothes on tomorrow, imagine, what if I were putting on priestly clothing now, I actually have like a little liturgy in my mornings when I'm in the shower. It's like I'm cleansed, I'm forgiven, like the water reminds me I'm a new creation. There's mercies new every morning. As I put on my clothes, like I, would you clothe me today again with your righteousness? Would you remind me of who I am as I go out this door to be a priest to whoever God you, you send my way? Can you imagine if you, that's how you saw every relationship? Like the barista that you go get coffee from, like... I'm a representative of God to her or him this morning. And uh, that when you first walk into the office, like I'm a representative to the first person I see and the second and the third and the fourth or whoever you're going to school with or your professor. Like, could you imagine if you embraced that identity, what that would do to your life? You are a royal priesthood. And I remember the day when Nikki came over and she you know, Janie and I kept saying, how can we be the priest of God to her? Because honestly, I didn't want her just to feel loved, and I just want her house just to be transformed. I wanted her to meet Jesus. And so we were, one night she came back to, over to her house, and she was crying. She had been taken advantage of by one other man in her life. And I sat down, and, you know, I, I remember lifting, we had two, we were having a drink together, and I lifted one empty glass, and I said, Nikki, you've been going to all these men to experience love, but they're all just empty like you. And they just all take advantage of you. And I lifted the other glass that was full and I said, I know another man who's got so much love to give you, a man that will never reject you and never hurt you, never abandon you. And by the way, he's also really good looking. Might, you might call him glorious. <laughs> and she's like, who is he? And I'm like, his name is Jesus. And she's like, oh, I want a man, Jeff, with flesh on. And I'm like, he took on flesh for you, Nikki. And then I described the incarnation, and I described the gospel to her one more time and shared that God was showing his love to her through Jesus. And she said, yeah, but I want a man who's here right now. And I said, he is here right now with us. She said, I want a man like you. At that point, I was really uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm like, I'm married. You know, you know how much I love Jane. And she goes, no, that's not what I meant. I meant like... I watch you love your wife. I love you watch your family. I watch how your family has loved me. I want that kind of man. I said, well, that's not me. I said, if you knew who I was before Jesus, I lifted the empty glass. I said, I was just like all the other men in your life. I was thinking about me, taking advantage of people for my own sake. And then Jesus came in and changed my heart, and he poured his love into my heart. And if you've experienced anything that looks like the love of God in my life, it's not me, it's Jesus in me loving through me so that you, Jesus would know, you would know that Jesus loves you too, Nikki. And later that week, she went home. She, was, she said she was in her bed all alone and 
it finally made sense to her that God had been trying to show his love to her through us. She told us that she surrendered her life to Jesus that night. She also told us that she, she prayed for hours asking God to forgive her every sin she could remember. And we told her, don't worry, he knows all of them. <laughs> you don't have to remember them. <laughs> and he even said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing from the cross. So he's already forgiven all your sin, Nikki. And she said, and then I went on to forgive all the people that had hurt me, and I asked God if he would forgive them too. And I thought to myself, whatever God does to us, he wants to do through us. You knew she experienced grace and forgiveness because she could give it away to people that hurt her so badly. Not much longer, about a year or so passed, Nikki passed away after she had given her life to Christ. We had baptized her in the Pacific Ocean, which is really, really cold if you've ever been there. She hated water, we found out. She was actually deadly afraid of water. <laughs> but she did it anyway, got baptized. And, and at her memorial service, we were showing these slides and telling these stories, and her daughter, Cindy, who had been estranged from her for many, many years, showed up at the memorial, along with Nikki's grandson, Jonathan, Cindy's son. And when we were doing the sharing time, Nikki, or I'm sorry, Cindy got up on the stage and said, I don't know who this woman is that you're talking about. I know that's not my mom because she would have never gotten in the water. But whoever she is, she's not the mom I know. So she must have been changed. And then she wanted to say, I, I want to thank all of you because you're clearly her real family. We didn't have family anymore. But she clearly had family with you. And I just want to thank you for letting my mom have a family before she died. And then she said this, I want to be a part of the family. She looked at me, she said, Jeff, can I be a part of the family? I said, absolutely, Cindy. I gave her a hug. And we ended the time, sat down. Jonathan leans over to me, Nikki's grandson. Can I be in the family? I said, absolutely. He goes, well, what I mean is I want to move into grandma's house and live next door to you. I said, no, you don't. <laughs> like, you know what it's like? He goes, I have, can only imagine. And so we as a missional community along with Jonathan went into that house and spent three months tearing out all the garbage. We have to put hazmat suits on and everything because it was so bad. Took about 15,000 pounds of garbage over 15 years out of that house to the dump. We were paid to have the whole house remodeled. Jonathan moved in next door. Along the way, I remember one night when we had been really tired working on the house, we sat in my front room, and, and Jonathan said, you know, I know I've been pushing you guys away and this whole stuff about Jesus for a long time. He said, can you tell me again about Grandma's baptism? What is the, why did she do that? And so I walked him through the gospel and what baptism means, and he said, I want to get baptized. I said, why? He goes, I have no other explanation for why you do what you do other than Jesus. This makes no sense. Why would you love people like this? And he said, I finally believe that it has to be because of Jesus because that's who we kept accrediting it to. And he, he said, I want to get baptized. And so that weekend, we baptized Jonathan out in the Pacific Ocean. Here's the question I want to ask you. Do you believe this is who you are? Do you believe you're the chosen people of God? He doesn't have a plan B, by the way. It's, this, you're it. You might be going, oh man, we, we're in trouble. Not if you have him. Do you believe you're a holy nation representing the kingdom of God breaking into your neighborhood, into your classroom, into your workplace? 
Do you believe that you are a royal priesthood sent to tell them it's because of Jesus and they can have the same thing you have because of Jesus? And then the last question I have is, who are the Jonathans and Nickys in your life? Who are those people? Right now, even, even through the message, you were going, people's faces were coming to your mind. Names were coming to your mind. Even right now, you're going like, yeah, but are you sure? Like, you might be thinking what my wife was thinking. It's too much. And you know what? If that's where you're at, then you're in the right place. Because the flesh says you can do it, but the Spirit says you need God to do it. Right? And some, some of you are going like, it's too much. Praise God. If you believe that, you're, you're right at the beginning. You're at the right spot. That's where you start. I can't do this, but I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So I just want to ask you to close your eyes a minute. I just want to ask you to invite the Spirit. We're going to take just a couple minutes, 120 seconds. Just take it and just go, Lord, who is it? Maybe, maybe for you, it's just like, I don't even know if I believe this is true of me. So maybe that's where you start. God, tell me who I am again. And then God, who have you sent me to? Who's the Nicky or the, the, the Jonathan in your life? Let's take a moment. And with that, as, as he gives you that, I want you to just say, God, but, a, but, but without you, I can't do it. I just, I can't. Would you help me? Would you pour your love into my heart? Would you do your work through my life? Take a few minutes. Just let him speak to you about that.